Amen. Good morning, church. I wanted to uh, thank Gene again for taking us through the Bible. It's always refreshing to learn something new about Jesus and his word, right? Uh, I also want to thank our part singers and all those who have worked to help our service go as smoothly as possible. And now comes my job, my task. Let's pray, and then we're going to uh, start our study on the book of Philippians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father God, I do pray that you will be with us this morning. You'll continue to walk with us. And and God, I pray for your strength, for your insight, for your humility to uh, clothe me at this time, God, in your word. And and I do pray that you open our hearts to your word and that uh, as we leave here today, Father, we will not leave what we learned here, uh, but we'll take it with us and that you'll be glorified through our lives, that you'll be pleased in how we put it into practice And God, uh, we do pray that you will continue uh, to strengthen our knowledge and our convictions on Jesus Christ. And for those of us who have yet to make Jesus Lord of our lives, God, I do pray that each week uh, that they're here, that they will be inspired and encouraged uh, to draw closer to him. We love and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, today uh, we're going to start and begin a new series on loving the Lord with all your mind. And to help us, we're going to uh, study out the book of Philippians together. Amen? Now, I'm not going to give you too, uh, we're not going to make this too head heavy because uh, we don't want you guys falling asleep in church. And we know we're going to be reading a lot of scripture, though, which is good, and that's always a good thing. Um... One encouraging thing is that there are four chapters to Philippians, so this is not a long read, but I do encourage you, uh, as we go through this together, to read one chapter a week. Can we do that? You can break it up however you want. I know last week we talked about going through the Gospels in a, uh, you know, with a new translation. I want to encourage you to do that in your devotional as well. Uh, we can never get too much Bible, all right? And if you compare how much time we spend on social media to how much time we spend in the Word... I mean, it's not even right, all right? So we can never have too much Bible, amen? Um, And I also believe that it's important that we stay connected to the Gospels as we go through through our series each year. So, um, and, and, and also because as you read through and read about the life of Paul, you see that the Gospels uh, was at the heart of Paul's message. And so we want to stay connected to the Gospels. Um, so as we get into this, you know, I love Philippians. Philippians is one of my favorite, uh, favorite books in the New Testament. I like to call it the book of joy. Uh, Paul uses the, ref- uh, the word joy or rejoice more than 16 times in this four- short letter uh, to the church in Philippi. And I think it's encouraging to know that there is a place we can turn to the Bible to see someone who has achieved where we all want to be. You know, one of the things I love about Paul is when you read through the book of Philippians, you see that Paul's mind is at another level. And especially with some of the topics that we're going to look at uh, over the uh, next few weeks. You know, I love Philippians because when Paul wrote this letter, Paul was not in the ideal circumstances. You know, usually when we write a letter to someone, 
you either go to Starbucks, you order your favorite beverage, you'll sit there, or you sit at home in a nice quiet place so you can, you know, you can gather your thoughts, you can really articulate what you want to say. Paul was chained to a Roman guard. Paul was writing this in prison. And I believe, too, you know, depending on where you're at, you know, if you got nothing else to do in prison, write a letter. I mean, so I guess Paul just felt like, you know, here, I can write a letter to my brothers and sisters. And so that's what he did. Uh, but to help us to get more f- uh, from, our, from the book of Philippians, I want to encourage you to ask yourself some questions. And it's always good as we're studying it out any book in the Bible to ask ourselves some very simple questions. Who, what, when, why, and how, right? How often applies sometimes to how to put into practice what I just learned. So let's begin with who. Book of Philippians, the title of the message today is Joy in Suffering. Joy in Suffering. This is a book about joy. So you're like, James, how could those words go in the same sentence? I don't use joy and suffering in the same sentence, James. What are you talking about? What kind of strange new teaching is this? But I'm here to tell you that there can be joy even in the midst of suffering. And that's what we learn from Paul. Paul opens his letter to the church of Philippi talking about his suffering. And so let's, let's begin. Let's jump into this. So who? Who wrote the letter and to whom was it written? It was written by the apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. Uh, Paul's son in the faith, Timothy, was with him. Uh, it doesn't really make clear that P- Timothy was also in prison. Uh, he probably dictated the letter for Paul as Paul was chained to the guard. But this one situation which was ideal is that God set it up so that Paul could write. He could still communicate with the church. So it wasn't as bad as, let's say, our prison uh, today is. So Paul was able to write and communicate and receive gifts uh, from the church. And so that's what he did. And right here, we see that Paul wrote the letter. Um, some scholars believe that Timothy also helped him because he's mentioned in the greetings to Philippi, for the church in Philippi. Uh, what? What was the purpose of the letter? Well, one of the four prison epistles, uh, guys know that we're going to learn about this as well, Philemon, my wife always corrects me, I pronounce it wrong all the time, Philemon, Ephesians, Colossians, and Philippians. And it was written primarily as a private letter. It wasn't really intended to be circulated to the church because usually Paul will say, you know, make sure that this uh, reaches all the churches. This was a personal letter that Paul wrote to the church in Philippi because they had sent him a gift while he was in prison and he wanted to thank them. He wanted to thank them. He, so he was very grateful about his relationship and his connection with the church there. So he wrote them a little letter. When was it written? It was written while Paul was in Rome in prison approximately around A.D. 61. Now, you know, Paul wanted to go to Rome. Paul had a dream. He had a vision of taking the gospel to Rome. He believed that Rome was the place. And if he could reach Rome, he could reach the rest of the known world. Because at that time, Rome had conquered most of the known world. And so Paul wanted to go to Rome. He wanted to go there, and he wanted to preach the word there. But instead, he was imprisoned. And so he wanted to get to, you can read that in Acts 19. Um, But not only did he want to teach and fellowship with the believers, Paul also wanted to 
make sure that the gospel was, at a, was preached at a place that would spread throughout the rest of the known world. And so he knew that if he could reach the Roman Empire, that he could reach all of the known world in his time. And you know, New York is pretty much set up like that. Uh, experts believe that there are over 800 different languages spoken in New York City alone. I mean, imagine, I mean, just our fellowship alone, how many of us were born in a, in a, in a different country? I mean, look at this, look around, you know, how many of us were born right here in the city? Just a little, little, little different here, but we can reach so many nations from right here in New York alone from right here in New York. And that's powerful. And Paul believed that the gospel had that kind of impact. Where? Well, the church was located in Philippi, which was the known, his, uh, which was a, a, you know, a Roman colony in um, northern Greece, which is uh, our modern-day Macedonia. It was also called Macedonia back in Paul's day. Um, you know, the history of Philippi goes way back. It goes a long way back. Philip II of Macedonia, he conquered this small colony, and he's the father of Alexander the Great. He gave it his name, and it was this very strategic location. You know, most conquerors looked for uh, areas where they could set up military bases so that it would be very strategic for their, their empire. It could help spread and defend their empire. And, and Philippi was one of those places. It was one of those places where Philip felt that he could, he could conquer, and he did that in 357 B.C., and he wanted to make sure that his name um, was on this country, and that's what they would often do. They would often uh, occupy a land and, and name it after themselves, and it was a thriving commercial center that sat at the crossroads of Europe and Asia, and back in A.D. 50, Paul, Silas, Timothy, and Luke, they all set out to go to this little piece of land to evangelize. And it wasn't just, be, it wasn't like Paul had a map and they took a dart and threw it and wherever the dart landed, that's where they went. No, Paul was led by the Holy Spirit. Paul wanted to go somewhere else to preach the gospel, but instead the Holy Spirit said, no, not now. And now you can, you, you, sometimes we think, well, why would God not want the word spread over here? See, God has a plan, and God also has a timing to his plan. You think about the time that you first heard the gospel. Why weren't you open then? I grew up in church, and I know I would have been in and out, in and out, in and out, had the gospel entered my life at a very young age. I wasn't ready. And so God called me at a time when I was ready. When, when the soil is fertile, when it's ready to, the word is ready to be received, God will open the door. But when it's not, God will close that door. But as we know, no door stays closed forever because God wants all men to be saved. And so, in fact, Paul was moved by the Holy Spirit through a dream. He had a vision of a man calling out to him saying, come to Macedonia and save us. Imagine if you had that dream. Imagine God speaking to you. And I believe God still does that till this day. In Acts 16, let's look at this in verse 9. It says, During the night Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia, 
standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Once God puts a dream on our heart, we cannot hesitate. We have to move because we don't know how long that door is going to be open. You know, I always share with you guys about the day I was met. The man who reached out to me didn't want to talk to anybody. He had been sharing his faith all day and met with rejection after rejection after rejection after rejection. But the Holy Spirit led him to little old James Warren. And I was the only person open that day on campus. Who would have known that? God knew it because I was like that man in Macedonia. Asking God to send me friends who will help me get to heaven. We have to make sure we keep our minds sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You never know who God is leading you to. And I believe God is speaking to us today in this way. Has God given you a dream? Has God given you a vision to go somewhere to specifically take the gospel, the good news there. And why? Why was it written? Well, there's several reasons why Paul wrote the letter. First, he wanted to thank them for the gift that they sent him. He wanted to give them an update on his current situation. He wanted to make sure that no one was worried about him. And he also wanted to know that uh, even though he was in chains, the gospel was not chained. The gospel was indeed spreading, even though Paul was imprisoned. He wanted to explain why he was sending Epaphroditus back. He wanted to make sure that the church knew that he, he was a great service. He appreciated them sending Epaphroditus uh, and that he helped in every way he could. But he himself was sick, and Paul wanted to make sure that he took care of himself, so he sent him back. Uh, no, another thing he wanted to make sure was he wanted to address a potential dis, uh, disunifying situation that started to grow in the church. And it, he wanted to encourage the church to remember the spirit of unity, to fight for unity, and to not give up. He also wanted to address the Jewish legalism that crept into the church. Uh, now, the church of Philippi was a predominantly Gentile church. And as we read through some of the letters that Paul wrote, we see that even Paul and Peter bumped heads on the issue of the Jews trying to get the Gentiles to act and be Jewish. But Paul was like, no, we are set free in Christ. There are, no, there are neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free in Christ. So stop trying to get the Gentiles to be Jewish. Stop trying to get them to follow Judaism. We're free in Christ. There's only one way, and that's God's way. You know, as Christians, sometimes when we've been around for a long time, we get used to doing things a certain way. And because we do things our way, and we can't see no other way of doing it, we expect everybody else to do things our way. And legalism can start to grow. And when we, you know, and nothing's more discouraging or turns people away than legalism. I have to do it this way, like this. I mean, where's my freedom in Christ? What if I want to sing to the Lord? Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't sing too loud. You're disturbing my, my worship space right here. Or, you know, there are things that may have worked for you that may not work for this brother or sister. 
But that's okay. Our church would be boring if we all did everything one way. The beauty of being a part of the kingdom of God is the diversity that we have. It's the, the uniqueness that we have in our fellowship. Now, we're common on certain principles in the Bible. We all agree on certain principles. We can't be divided on doctrine. We can't be divided on who's Lord of our lives. We can't be divided on one God. We can't be divided on one church. But how we practice, that's the beauty of being a disciple. Amen? That's the beauty of being a disciple. Um, He also addressed some wrong ideas that some had about reaching perfection. Some people believed that they, they were bent on being perfect. They, they didn't want to make mistakes. And Paul was like, guys, you know, perfection doesn't come from you trying to do everything right without making mistakes. You're going to make mistakes. He also addressed the pressures of materialism on the church in, in, in Philippi. And then lastly, he took the opportunity to encourage the Christians to suffer bravely, to live single-mindedness, and to trust their lives to the Lord in all circumstances. You know, I believe sometimes we trust God with some things, but we don't trust him with everything. I heard a quote someone once said, I pray to God for my friends, but I take care of my business. Jesus is not Lord right there. You get what I'm saying? That's like saying my marriage I'll trust with God, but I'm taking care of my kids. Jesus has to be Lord of every area of our life if he is truly Lord. Amen? And so then there's that brief history right there. There's a little, you know, some little snippets right there. You know, Philippians is is Paul's book of joy. When you read through Philippians and you learn about Paul's circumstances, you can't help but to stop and wonder how could this man remain joyful under these circumstances? How can he keep a a godly perspective on all that's going on around him and still write a letter of joy? I, I just can't see it. And there's a lot that I believe we can pull from this book and add to our own lives. Paul's perspective on his situation comes from a mind that loves the Lord. Paul has trained himself to see his, his situation as under God's sovereign power. And we too have got to train our minds. We talked about this last week, preparing our minds to love the Lord. Paul had to train his mind to love God no matter what the circumstances. Amen? There are four themes that jump out in this book that we're going to look at over the course of the next few weeks. And they all connect to joy. You know, there's, Paul talks about the joy in suffering. He also talks about the joy in serving. He talks about the joy in believing and believing in the power of Jesus. And then lastly, he closes out with talking about the joy in giving. You know, there's a lot of joy that's co- that comes from just giving to people, that comes from taking care uh, of people and doing the Lord's work. We can get a lot of joy from that. Amen? So let's get into that. I have one point for us today. And it's simply this. We are all chained to suffering. We're all chained to suffering. But we have to decide whether or not we're going to be happy or joyful in the midst of that suffering. 
You know, Jesus says, anyone who follows me will be persecuted. Jesus lived a life of suffering. But his suffering was not in vain. His suffering did not steal away his joy. And as Christians, it doesn't mean that because Jesus is Lord of your life, you're going to you get a free pass from suffering. No, it just assures us that as we suffer, Jesus will suffer with us. Amen? That we won't suffer alone. So I don't know where you're at this morning, where you're at in your marriage, where you're at at your job, where you're at with your kids, where you're at alone. Wherever you're at in life right now, Jesus is promising to be there with you. And you don't have to suffer alone. Amen? So let's do a little reading. Let's go back and we're going to read together Philippians chapter 1. Is that all right? Amen. I heard that this is a Bible-based church. And so I think it's only fitting that we read our Bibles. Let's start together Philippians chapter 1. It says, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the day, from the first day until now, because being confident in this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. For whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight, so that you may be able to discern what is best and and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of, of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise God. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have encouraged have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up for me, stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached, and because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Christ Jesus, what has happened to me will, run, will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage, and that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in this body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet, what shall I choose? I do not know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is by, better by far, but it's more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convicted of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you 
Again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. You know, I think that's so important right here because, you know, Paul is saying, regardless of what happens to me, make sure you do the right thing. Make sure you live your life in such a way that it is worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Isn't that encouraging right there? You know, Paul is basically, he opens up here addressing the issue that we're all going to be chained to something. And we can't escape suffering in this life. And even though in the midst of suffering, we still as Christians have a responsibility to hold up the life of Christ. That we still have to conduct ourselves in a way that's worthy of the gospel. You know, sometimes we're changed to emotional suffering, physical suffering, mental suffering, relational suffering. You can add to that list. Sometimes we're suffering because of a sin we committed or the sins committed against us. But Paul ironically, was not suffering for sin. Paul was chained for the gospel. Now let me ask you this question. If you knew that sharing your faith would get you into trouble, would that motivate you to keep your mouth shut? Paul was in chains because he refused. To stay quiet. I understand our jobs, our companies may say things, no proselytizing up in here. Keep your mouth shut. We live by a high authority. We live under a high authority and Jesus is Lord. Now I understand there's situations where you got to be wise. You can't just be like, forget my boss, come to my church. You got to be wise. And this is why the emphasis is more on not what we say, but on how we live. You are your most consistent invitation. Even if you never open your mouth, someone looking at you on your job, something's different about him. Something's different about her. I saw how she was treated. I heard what was said about her. I hear the rumors, but it doesn't budge them. I need to know what's going on in their life invitation. Your life is your greatest sermon. You know, in Acts chapter 9, Acts chapter 9, in verse 15, Paul didn't realize that he was pointed out. Jesus appointed Paul to suffer for his name. In Acts 9, verse 15, he says, but the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
Now, when we suffer for Christ, it's not the same as suffering for sin. See, Paul had to go through some challenges. Paul would have to go through some extreme trials, all for the glory of Jesus Christ. Some of us have been chosen instruments to suffer for the Lord. When we hear, I want to give glory to God, we don't often think that includes suffering. Sometimes we think, man, I just want to do something fantastic, and that the underlying, the undercurrent really means, you know, we get a little glory too. But when we're talking about giving God the glory, God is like, you know what? I'm glad you said that. Because I need somebody to stand in the gap to show how awesome my word is, to show the transforming power of my word. I've been looking for a volunteer. And I'm so glad you prayed that prayer. Because I'm going to show you how much you must suffer for my name. Oftentimes, we want God to take us out of suffering. We don't connect joy and suffering. Sometimes God puts us in certain situations so that he can truly be glorified. See, the only way God can be glorified is if you don't get the glory. If you get the glory, then how is God glorified? So God puts us in situations where we're chained to something that we can't break away from. You know, Paul shows us that chains of suffering do not have to steal our joy. His perspective on his suffering came from a, dip, came from a depth of a relationship with Jesus that was connected to his soul. And as a result, everyone throughout the palace... God's read that part, right? He said... As a result of my chains, everyone in the palace guard has heard about Jesus. You know, in our jobs, we want God to get us up out of there. Jesus is like, yeah, but everyone hadn't heard yet. Paul said, because of my chains, that was his motivation. He's like, look, I can't go nowhere, so I might as well make the most of it. Have you heard about Jesus? And if you're chained to Paul... You can't go anywhere. So I'm pretty sure this guy was like, would you shut up? And they couldn't hurt him because Paul was a Roman citizen. And so Roman citizen, so Paul is like, look, let me tell you about Jesus. And I can see, I can imagine Paul going through the whole story and that guard sitting there like, would this man please shut up? When is my relief getting here? And then the next guard comes in. Hey, how you doing? My name is Paul. Have you heard about Jesus? Good Lord. And then the next guard comes through. And it happens so much to everybody in the guard. like, hey, this guy, that person, can we get rid of him? Because he's only talking about Jesus. And I bet you there's someone in that guard. Maybe it was the 10th guard. Maybe it was the 12th guard. Maybe it was the 20th guard. But someone sat there and gave Paul an audience. Everybody heard. Who knows? Maybe Paul reached someone and then that person went and spread the good news throughout the palace. Our suffering is never in vain. God never wastes suffering. His joy was contagious. Sometimes we want God to take us out of a situation before we understand why we're in the situation in the first place. Philippians 1 verse 14, Paul says, because of my chains... Most of the brothers of the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul's chains inspired the church. 
He couldn't go around preaching. So they were like, well, look, guys, we need to pick up the slack. Paul is in chains. He's, he's chained. He can't go anywhere. What are we going to do? That's the testimony. That's the true test of a growing and healthy church. Is when the leaders are down and out, does the church keep moving forward? Or do we have that, well, the cat's away, the mouse will play mentality? You know, let me tell you something. People come to me all the time with great ideas. And my, my leadership team will tell you, you bring it up, you own it. When I hear things like, oh, we should do this, and you're going to start planning this win? You're not going to put extra stuff on my plate. It's not my dream, it's your dream. But I love when people dream. When people want to do something and use their gifts and, and get other people involved, go for it. You don't need my permission. Just don't do nothing illegal and throw my name in there and say, James said I could do it. Because I'm not coming to bail nobody out. But I mean, we should be so inspired by God that we do things just because. Just because some of us have these chains on us that are self-inflicted. Nobody else has put them on you. You put them on yourselves. I can't do this. Who told you you can't do that? Well, I just assumed. You change the assumptions. Don't let that keep you from growing. Let me tell you, when I was a young Christian, I was so inspired. I didn't know my Bible, but I knew how to find things. I had a little concordance in my little jacked up Bible. And let me tell you something. I started a Bible discussion group on my job. I didn't, I didn't ask for permission. I didn't even know what if I was teaching. I'm like, look, these are the studies they did with me. This is what I'm going to do with my, my coworkers. And I did it. All because of God. And I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I'm here in a company with 4,000 workers. I'm the only disciple that I know of here. These people need a chance. My minister's not going to travel all the way to New Jersey to share his faith. I have to do it. This is what I'm chained to. And I shared my faith to anybody that would listen. And somebody, somehow word got back to the ministry and said, yo, James, and it wasn't, it wasn't an encouraging thing. It was more, yo, James saw the Bible talk on his job. Like they were snitching on me. And thank God I've been saved from that lifestyle. So I ain't, you know, I ain't approach him on it. But I'm like, yeah. I mean, nobody else is doing it. And I asked them, any Bible talk? So nobody gave me a Bible talk. So the, the ministry leader said, you know what? Let me train you. Let me teach you how to lead a Bible discussion. And that, without me even realizing, was the beginning of God grooming me for the ministry. You never know where God is going to take you. There is nothing more inspiring to the soul than to hear a testimony or a story of how God has brought someone through an intense trial. Or use someone despite their suffering, despite their difficult circumstances. Paul's arrest and imprisonment had resulted in the gospel moving in new directions. You know, the leaders are only limited. We, we can only go one place at a time. But if we all move together, we reach more people. We reach more places. And for that reason, joy was all up in Paul's heart. 
He was so happy to hear that people were inspired to keep the work going. And it made him joyful. You know, there are people that you and I would have never met had the opportunity to share God's good news had suffering not put us in the same room. A couple weeks ago, I was suffering from an impacted wisdom tooth. I went to get it pulled out. There was a young dental assistant there who was talking about looking for a church. And, 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 and I'm just sitting there waiting for, my, waiting for this dentist to come in because I'm in pain. And I'm trying not to get caught up in her conversation. But then she asked, well, Mr. Warren, what do you do? And I said, I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I'm actually a minister, and I heard your whole conversation. I didn't want to be rude and butt in. And, you know, long story short, she's been coming to church ever since. And, and she told me, she said, you know what? There's no such thing as con con uh, coincidence. She said, I've been praying just like that man in Paul's dream. Come help us. She said, I've been praying for a church. And so she came with it, you know, I'm like, that's God. I can't get glory for that. How do I know that this woman at that time would be my assistant? And my, that was God. That was God. Sometimes I was suffering puts us in the room with the people that God wants us to be with. That was no coincidence during my son's painful surgeries. A few years back, my wife reached out to a young single mom whose son was also recovering from surgery. And they kept in touch. My wife has gone out. She, met, she moved in. She lives in Newark, New Jersey. My wife has gone out, reached out to her, served her. Suffering put us in the same room. Put us in the same room. Earlier this year, I had my back surgery. I'm sitting there trying to recover, ready to go. And this young nurse comes in and she sits with us and we start talking. And for like at least two hours, we start sharing our faith with this young lady. Never would have met her had suffering not put me in the room. Where is your suffering leading you? And are you embracing it or are you resisting it? See, Paul embraced his suffering. He saw it as an opportunity for God's word to move. And for that reason, he rejoiced. Instead of asking, why am I suffering? We should instead ask, Lord, who do you want me to encourage with these chains? You know, I've learned that suffering takes us to places comfort cannot. Keeps us on our knees. Suffering develops a depth to us that comfort cannot. Suffering keeps us grateful. Suffering improves our memory better than comfort. Most people remember in HD detail their suffering, their pain, and who caused it. <laughs> suffering keeps us humble. Paul's mentality was since I'm in chains, I might as well, might as well make good use of it. You know, I also believe that suffering matures us in ways that courage, encouragement and comfort don't. Because you have, no one has ever had to persevere through an encouragement. We welcome him. Thank you. And we need encouragement, right? I mean, we, we always need encouragement. But, whoa, boy, have we had to persevere through some trials. And that is what Peter says, the growth happens. That's what James says, that the, the character is developed. It's in the midst of our suffering. That's when we mature. 
So if you want to grow in Christ, you've got to look at your suffering with a different perspective. I'm going to grow because of this. God is going to use this to mature me. He's going to help my faith to go leaps and bounds of where I could not get to on my own. God is going to use this. Lord, help me to see the growth at the end of it all. There's nothing wrong with asking God that prayer. And let me speak this up. Philippians 1, let's look at this. You know, Paul maintained his joy even though he had personal conflict with other believers. Philippians 1, verses 15 through 18, it's true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chain. I mean, how bad do you got to be to badmouth the man while he's in prison? There were some jealous Christians going on. They were, they were trying to make it difficult for Paul. And Paul was like, why the animosity? Can't we all just get along? I mean, we're, we're, I'm preaching Jesus for Christ's sake. But it took so much maturity to look at the situation the way he did. Paul said in verse 18, but what does it matter? The most important thing is what? In every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. That was his perspective. That is a mature way to look at your suffering. You know what? They can talk about me all they want. Did they mention Jesus? Amen. That's all that matters. Some of us, we start looking for a new church as soon as Christians start talking about us. That ain't the church for me. But Paul, he looked at even the conflict between his brothers and sisters as an opportunity to glorify God. In verse 19, Paul says, For I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Sometimes our suffering can come at the hands of other Christians, but Paul's attitude was to focus on Jesus. He knew that Jesus was going to deliver him. His focus was not on his suffering. When we focus on our suffering, we become more and more self-centered. We become more inward-focused. And nothing gets done. There is no growth when we're focused on ourselves. And Paul said, no, God is going to, Jesus is going to deliver me. This is for my deliverance. This has happened so that I can grow. And what I love about Paul is that Paul didn't know what his outcome was going to be. He didn't know whether he was going to be released or executed. And Paul still maintained his joy. In verse 21, Paul says, for to, live, for, me to, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He set his mind on the life he lived in Christ Jesus. Now, Paul, he determined to be joyful and that Christ would be glorified even though the verdict could go against him. And in his mind, he wins either way. He says, if I, if I still live, then that means I can get to keep preaching the gospel. But if I die, then I get to be with the Lord. Every Christian should have that perspective. That, man, if I get to live another day, another year, another 10, another 15, another 20, I still get to study the Bible with people. I still get to help people mature in Christ. I still get to bring people to church. I still get to worship with my brothers and sisters. And if I die... 
I can hang this old dusty body up and be with Jesus. It's a win-win situation when you're walking with Christ. Some people are afraid to die because they don't know where they're going to spend eternity. Paul knew, and he was confident. He was joyful. It motivated him. He was torn between the two. He said, I want to stay with you guys, but I really want to be with Jesus. But I love you guys, but I really want to be with Jesus. I'm not going to tell you which one I chose. I love y'all. But I'm like, Lord, come quickly. You know, Paul decided that regardless of his outcome, he was going to rejoice. He didn't see his life as a waste of time. For to me to live, for to me to live as Christ, he had a purpose to his life. What's your purpose in life? Is it tied to this world or is it connected to the next? You know, I believe that because Paul was ready to die for Christ, he was also ready to live for Christ. He belonged to Christ and he was confident in his eternal destination. Until you're ready to die for Jesus, you won't be ready to live for Jesus. You have to be ready to die for Jesus if you're going to live for Jesus. And Paul concludes here in verses 27 to 29, and we'll wrap up here. He says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. Then whether I come and see you only in, or hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God, for as for it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Paul, he concludes this portion of his letter by bringing it back to the cross. And the words conduct yourselves literally mean to live as citizens, to live as citizens of. And Paul is talking about living as citizens of heaven. He mentions that in several other letters. Ephesians, he talks about living as citizens of heaven. And he asked the church to remember that they were citizens of another kingdom and to live accordingly, to not live as those who are bound to this world, but to live to those who are holy citizens of heaven. Paul reminds them to live this way because you can't suffer from living a sinful lifestyle that has nothing to do with Christ Jesus. Paul is saying, no, live in such a way as to bring glory to what Jesus has done for you on the cross. And in verse 29, he implies that we should feel privileged to suffer for the name of Christ Jesus. When the Christians got their name in the, in the first century, it did not come from encouragement. It wasn't like, hey, there's those Christians. Come on over here. It was more like, oh, Christians. And Paul was like, you know what? Amen. Because you're suffering for something more important than yourselves. We should feel honored when we're persecuted for our faith. We should feel honored when we're made fun of and teased because we read our Bible. We, we should feel honored when we say no to certain things and hold up our moral values in Christ Jesus. We shouldn't feel like, 
left out or I'm the oddball. No, you are aliens in this world, but it's because of Christ Jesus. It's because Jesus died for us. It's because Jesus died so that we can live for something and not fall for anything. When you are grateful what someone else has done for you, there's nothing too much for them to ask. Jesus only asks that we tell the world about him and that we live our lives in such a way. I want to close with this quote by Timothy Keller. It says, you don't really know Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. You know, when we, when we go through suffering, sometimes it's not so clear as to what we need. And that doesn't always become clear until Jesus is all that we have. When he's the only thing, the only one who can bring us joy despite our circumstances. With that in mind, let's go to God with the word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father God, we thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, we do pray that you help us to train our minds to love you even despite the sufferings and the trials that we endure. Father, help us to remember that we're not walking this walk in vain and that as we live our lives, I pray that you will help us, God, to, to, uh, to free ourselves of all legalism that can anchor us to uh, a life that's not called by you. Father, we do pray that you will help us to live up to the cross. You help us to live up and live lives worthy of what you've done for us. And as we take the bread that represents his body, as we take the blood, that, uh, the, the juice that represents the blood that was spilled for us, God, I pray that you help us to keep our conscience free and clear of sin, and that you'll help us to live lives that are worthy of the gospel. We love and thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.